Hi everyone, this is Tom. Welcome to episode 16, part 3 of our trilogy on the seer. We're going to jump right into it with the song Remembrance Day. Hope you enjoy it. Remembrance Day. Um, why Remembrance Day is a starting point for a song? Um, I think because it's, it's quite a, a potent image of, a, of a learning from things gone past. As I said, that is the underlying feel to the whole thing and the key that the album revolves around. And uh, as such, it was a <clears throat> it was a very uh, potent phrase to use in the song, and it, obviously the whole song just sings, just turns around the two words. And uh, I don't know. I don't really like pinning myself down too much about certain songs until maybe this time in two years' time, and then I'll tell you exactly what it is. <clears throat> but, uh, no, it revolves around the, the old key stuff. Right. So do you have to uh, live with an album for quite a while before you uh, fully understand it yourselves? I think I think with this album, I, I will do. I think Steel Town was fairly black and white and presented all of itself in, uh, in an upfront manner, whereas this album... Uh, Things are tucked away in, in little corners and stuff. This song is a new number called Remembrance Day. Remembrance Day is a great song. <laughs> it's one of those that musically just lifts you up. Uh, it lifts your spirits. It's, it's extremely festive, has a strong celebratory feel. Uh, although lyrically, you get the feeling that there's more than meet the eye, which is so often the case with Big Country. But uh, I mean, what a change from uh, a lot of the prior songs. This is uh, very much back into the old, um, yeah, the, the melodramatic uh, Big Country, the picturesque Big Country. If you look at the title, totally independent of the music and the other lyrics, and Remembrance Day in itself can go either way. You can remember something that happened. It could be good, it could be bad. Uh, there could be joy, there could be regret. It could be an anniversary or a memorial, right? It could be just the expression Remembrance Day in itself is very neutral when it comes to these things. Uh, so uh, it's time to dig a little deeper into the lyrics and see what we find, because the words have always fascinated me with this song and this is one of the songs on the seer that much like the first two albums has made me actually sit and study them and what the hell is it does it mean uh, there are so many layers to them and how should the song be taken because there's certainly an all-out festive and celebratory aspect to the song musically but lyrically you feel that there is some regret as well and uh if you start with the second verse and lines like, I will leave this land and the hunger that is here, uh, that leads me to think that the song is about a young man who leaves the country because there is no future there. There's no way for him to live there anymore. Uh, and from that perspective, uh, you could get the impression that the song is set in the 18th or 19th century and is about the emigration from Scotland when hunger was a genuine reason why people emigrated. Uh, but then you look to the first verse and that really sets the premise. The person uh, is spending the last day together with a loved one and goodbyes are said. 
so in the first verse, you see things like, yeah, I'll walk with you tonight, and uh, in your raven hair, I'll fly the summer night. Upon far-flung soil, I will run you through my head. In my daily toil, all the promises are said. So I'm with you now, but when I am on a different soil, then I'll run you through my head. I'll remember you. And Not I'll a great take, line. Oh, so yeah, great. A wonderful line. Very poetic. And you don't necessarily get the first, in the first verse, what I mean. You need to get to the, I must leave this land and the hunger that is here. But, oh, right. Now I get it. So he's leaving for these and these reasons. And uh, he's bringing with me. He's sort of soaking up good memories to bring them with him. Right. So even though it's a very sad song, it's, it's never fun to leave people you, you love behind. But he's taken with him all the good. And that's what he will do. You know, he'll sing his song and this is a remembrance day. He'll, he'll bring with him all the positive stuff. So it's a sad situation where he focuses on the positive. Yep. And that added with the entire celebratory feel of the music really makes it a very uplifting song, even though the, there's a lot of, you know, sad tintings to it. You know, there's always, uh, you know, the opposite of a silver lining. There's a silver or a dark cloud hiding behind a silver lining, or, right, right. So, so to speak. So, um, yeah, uh, a sadness tinged optimism, I think we could say. So everybody remembers this day of leaving with mixed feelings, but uh, one has to be glad as it leaves to better things later. And this topic, I think, was later visited on songs like Time for Leaving, and uh, it seemed to be something he, uh, he had, uh, had thoughts about. Uh, another thing that always fascinated me in this song is the phrase, like a flower in some forest that the world will never see, right. which, obvious, which obviously points back to like just a shadow. Yeah. And obviously we'll talk much more about that if we ever manage to tackle Steel Town. Uh, but it seems to be a thought of Stuart's that there is a flower in each of us, which is protected from the outside world, that we only show to very few people. And that most people never see. And I got the feeling from the words, especially on just a shadow, but here too, that this is a very sad thing. And it's a feeling of hiding who you really are and not maybe having the confidence to let your flower grow strong and proud and mm, for the world to really see it for what it is. So so that line signals a recognition that there are lots of flowers in this big forest that we will never know. Wonderful people who are not recognized for their greatness and people just who just go unnoticed. Exactly. So, uh, so that is, again, another regretful line. Like, if I don't show you my flower now, maybe... I'll never get the chance to because I'm leaving. Uh, I, this, I always took that. I'm sorry. I always took that too in a very similar way, but it was it was more like um, I always thought of the flower in the desert is that he's going to do what he knows he should do, even though he may not receive praise for it or anyone may not you know recognize him for it. He's going to be proud, do what he has to do, um, and and the fact that you can you can do something good, do the right thing, even when you know nobody's looking. That's kind of what I always took from that idea of being a flower in the desert that no one will ever see or a, or a flower in the garden that the world will never see. You're still you're still going to be the flower whether the world sees you or not. So anyway, that's that's the way I took it. Okay. Yeah, it can be taken so many ways, really. Uh, I think in this song, it's fully possible to bring out the sadness of these words by writing sad, regretful music that invites that mindset. But instead, and this is part of what I really love about this song, because I love this song, the music is happy, melodic, extremely bombastic. It's so bombastic, you can almost laugh at it at times. So instead of being sad about leaving someone behind, the music celebrates the one last happy time spent together. And ultimately, that makes this song into such a positive tour de force. 
and such a source of both inspiration and encouragement, which is a lot of what I love about Big Country to begin with. And just listen to the part that goes... That section, big country at their most bombastic, it's absolutely bloody fantastic. Such a goosebump moment. Yeah, it really is. And and you summed up and, and really isolated the meanings behind the song, I think, wonderfully. And, and there's not a whole lot I could add to it. The only thing I would say from my perspective is um, as far as it being someone going to war is that Remembrance Day it is an actual name of, of a Memorial Day that's uh, observed in, in various countries in the, in Europe, um, and in the UK, it's, it's also known as Poppy day or armistice day. And I'm looking at uh, my notes here, but it says it's a Memorial day observed in Commonwealth countries since the end of world war one to remember the members of their armed forces who have died in the line of duty this day or alter, or, or alternative dates are also recognized as special days for war remembrances in many non-Commonwealth countries. Remembrance, Remembrance Day is observed on 11 November to recall the end of hostilities of World War I on that date in 1918. So knowing that Stewart was a huge World War I fanatic, I've read that before, that he, he really enjoyed reading about World War I. And I think a lot, yes. of, I think a lot of that imagery really you know, fit into his early songs. And this is still early relatively for big country. Um, that that's what I've always taken it as as being a guy going off to war, um, almost like a where the roses sown type of thing, where he goes off and he knows he has to, and he's going to do his duty and do what he needs to do, and and uh, hopefully he'll be back. But yeah, it, it's it's another one of those songs that really goes beyond specific and direct interpretations of the lyrics. It it it's there. It's clear enough where it conjures just some intense emotion in you. I don't want to say this is an abstract song because it really isn't as abstract as a lot of his earlier stuff. There's a lot of straightforward things in here too, but there are still some abstract elements to it and the turns of phrases that he uses and the choices of words that he uses conjure certain emotions even if you don't completely understand exactly what he's trying to get across. But Yeah. Stewart also said a couple of times that his way of writing was he would often take the first line of a poem or a phrase or a title and then write the rest based on yeah. that. And then he would replace the line he started up with. So he had a completely original stuff. And who knows if he just took the word uh, or the phrase Remembrance Day, which has a definite meaning and a different word connotation, and just made something out of it and put his own take on it. Because that would fit into the way he yeah. that he preferred to write. This is traditional big country when you've got the uplifting music and what is kind of a depressing lyric. You know, it's, it's, it's that... Uh, irony that that seems to pervade so much of the greatest big country songs but that's certainly here i mean you've got um you've got great guitars throughout this you've got the great mark brzecki tom tom rolls throughout and here we also have um your favorite singer june miles kingston returning um i yes. think she, i think she does a good job on Eileen, and i never had a problem with that i know you i know you you didn't like it um for, for me, she is, as I said when I was talking about Ali, and she's more like a, a shade in the song that I don't really think about. I don't like listen to her singing necessarily and, and judge it. It's more like a shade, almost like another instrument that kind of blends in in the background. And it's kind of that way with Remembrance Day, too, but I think she takes a bigger role in this song. Another weary 
the problem with Elidon is it's such an emotional song. Uh, she doesn't give an emotional performance. Whereas Remembrance Day is a totally different song. Where maybe emotion isn't the main requirement. And she fits the build so much more. You know, I don't know if it's as simple as that. But uh, it's also a song where you know she um, she becomes more of a shade. Like Elidon is so naked, it's almost out there. Whereas here she's part of a big mix and a huge bombastment and trumpets and fanfare and everything. So who knows? I have to say, you, you mentioned the guitars and, and the drums. But, but I just have to say, I love Tony's bass line in this song. Mm. It, it is so catchy and it's so bouncy and so all over the place. Oh, it's incredible. I didn't it, it's to it, tot- totally incredible. But unfortunately, somewhat buried in the mix. Uh, but... Uh, I have heard a demo version where the baseline is somewhat more prominent. Yes.
interesting thing about that demo is, according to Bruce, Stewart did not play on that. Only he, Mark, and Tony played on it, um, at least initially. I don't know if maybe Stewart added something after the fact, but I asked Bruce uh, one another question that we had about the Seer. A lot of us were, you know, are there any demos available for the Seer? And Bruce's reply was, no demos for the Seer album um, were done, apart from Stewart's Porta Studio demo of Look Away, which was guitar and drum machine. And Remembrance Day was demoed by Mark, Tony, and I. So I think probably the Seer album was probably done in a similar way to what Bruce talked about with Steel Town, in that they had the songs written, they probably rehearsed them, recorded the songs on a crappy cassette and listened to them and chipped away at them, with the exception of the songs that are mentioned here, uh, Look Away and Remembrance Day. And to, yeah. to my knowledge, nobody has the demo of Look Away that he mentions here. I would, I would be very interested in hearing that, Stewart's Porter Studio demo of that. Um, I don't know if it exists. I, I have to assume it does not because I've never heard anything about it until Bruce said that. So if you if you are a stinking thieving bastard who's sitting on that, you, yeah, please, please let it let it come to the light of day. Even if come your on. name even if your name is Bruce Watson. Yeah, come on, Bruce. <laughs> Damn. So how do you rank it? Okay, Remembrance Day. I rank number four. I knew it. <laughs> I have all your remaining <laughs> Yeah, so I rank it number three. Okay, The Red Fox. This to me is um, just, again, one of the standout tracks on this album. And... Just, it's just an incredible song that makes you proud to be a big country fan because there's so much going on in this song. It, it's like a, it's, it's such a smart song. <laughs> it, it really is. I mean, lyrically, musically, it's it's kind of a mini epic in that it's not a really long song necessarily, but there's a lot of things going on in here. I mean, you've got musically, you've got a variety of parts, a, a variety of sections, and then lyrically, you've got you got two completely different perspectives of the person who's singing in this song. Like the first half is one guy, the second half is another guy. So, you know, that's really interesting. And then you've got there are tons of tie-ins here to uh, to history and to Scottish history, which is something that Stewart always loved to do, at least in the early days. Um, you know, he did it on Harvest Home, he did it on other songs, and he does it again here, which I think is amazing. A lot of this lyrically is based on – well, it's based on a couple of things. It's based on Robert Louis Stevenson's uh, book Kidnapped, which in itself was based on some true uh, events that happened in Scottish history. And there's a character in Kidnapped that they call the Red Fox. Apparently this guy in the book was a redheaded man, hence the name Red Fox, and he was a Scotsman who was working for the English. So he was considered uh, a traitor in many ways. So this character in the book is is very hated. Now, what this is based on, very interestingly, is something that truly happened, and it's called the Appen Murder. And it happened um, in 1752 near a place called Appen in the west of Scotland. And it resulted in what uh, Wikipedia says is held to be a notorious miscarriage of justice. There was a guy named um, Colin Roy Campbell of Glenure, and he was – and I'm reading this from Wikipedia, so you don't think I'm really smart because I'm, I, I'm just reading this. He was the government-appointed factor to the forfeited estates of the Stuart clan, ironically enough, 
in North Argyle, Scotland, and he was shot in the back by a marksman in the wood of Lettermore near Balakulish. The search for the killer targeted the local clan, the Jacobite Stuarts of Appen, who had recently suffered evictions on Campbell's orders. So here we got a guy, Colin Roy Campbell, who was a Scotsman, and he was evicting people who were part of the Stuart clan on the orders of the English. So, of course, you know, this guy is not going to be looked upon too, too, uh, too happily by the people who were a part of this clan. So in real life, and I'm, I'm going to wrap this up here, but in real life, this guy was shot. And nobody ever knew who, who killed him. Nobody knows, and the people that claim that they do know are not revealing who did it. But there was a man who was accused, and that man's name was James Stewart. And uh, you know, not Jimmy Stewart, but James Stewart. And he was one of the last leaders of the Stewart clan. It said he was arrested for the crime and tried for murder, although it was clear at the trial that James was not directly involved in the assassination as he had a solid alibi. He was found guilty as an accessory by a jury consisting of people from the locality where the crime occurred. And he was eventually hanged for the crime. Um, and he, he apparently protested his innocence all the way to the hanging. So there's a little background on what's going on there. And as you can see from that long soliloquy, there's a ton of stuff going on here in what uh, prompted Stewart to write this song. So the interesting thing for me is that we've got the two sections. In the beginning, we've got the the voice of the sniper, you know, coming down into the day, and all that I can see is the red and white of the king's army, the red coats, and he's hiding in the pine and he's waiting, and the prey goes down at the meadows crash. What what a great line that is when he finally he makes the shot, he kills the guy. The prey goes down with the meadows crash, the musket that he must be firing, and then you've got the great lines. I was not born into this time to cleave the soil. And uh, whoever the guy is singing, that we don't even to this day know who it was, he killed, uh, he killed this man um, who was likened to the Red Fox from the book Kidnapped. And then the really cool thing is, musically we've got this great change up. I remember when we were talking to Bruce about the sailor. He was talking about kind of a Russian, the, the, the Russian feel of the sailor in the, in the middle section. And I, I really believe that he was thinking about the Red Fox when he said that because we've got that part in the middle section of the Red Fox where it almost sounds like a, a Russian dirge type of feel where you can see the Cossacks, you know, doing their, their little dance that, that gets faster and faster as they go. And I always loved that guitar part. And then we go into a, a different part of the song where we've got another guy's perspective. Clearly someone who is being or afraid they're about to be arrested for this crime. They didn't do it, but they're saying things like, you know, I believe in what happened. Um, the one thing I never could figure out in the song was was who John was, but maybe that was something never meant to be figured out. But I still love it. I love that part where he's singing, John, John, there's something wrong. The guns are found and the fox is gone. 
phenomenal lyrics throughout this this song. It's one of those songs that makes you want to go research what what the hell it's about. So, you know, lyrically, this is just a song that is full of great layers. And musically, it's a song that's just full of great layers. It's the opening guitar part of this song is it it gets me right from there. I mean, it, it starts out great. That opening guitar is just so raw and gritty and and awesomely played. And then the music kicks in, the drums kick in, the bass kicks in, and we go into that middle section that we talked about. That's like a Cossack feel to it. And then we've got just a beautiful section in this song where it's the in the second section where it's the lead playing, and it's just this beautiful melody. And so, I mean, just like everything is in this song. It's just crammed full of, it's so dense with just brilliance in, in every way. It's it's really one of my favorite songs. It, it, it's a shame that this is, I'd have to say this is one of Big Country's forgotten gems because they never played it live. They never talked yeah. about it. You know, it's one of those things that they never mention unless they're directly asked about it. And yet I think it's it's just an amazing tune. And the last thing I'll say before I turn this over to Spine, I'll read this part from Bruce um, from the same article I've been referring to throughout this. He says, the Red Fox, he says, this features the sort of famous twin lead guitar sound of big country, I suppose. Straight sort of guitar harmonies, almost thin Lizzie-ish in parts. Yet again, at the end section there, triggering of a lot of odd guitar sounds from Mark's Tom Tom this time. I also played slide guitar on this, which turned out to be quite effective. And we also had the great kebab middle eight section, which is good for the kebab seller. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Always with a joke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but uh, you're completely right. This is a forgotten gem. It's uh, a totally underrated uh, song. And in many ways, this is one of the Sears secret weapons. It's such a stellar song. And uh, I know when we spoke with Bruce and I asked for what were the plans for more big country epics? And he kept saying that those kind of songs were really just a part of uh, the crossing era. Right. And I disagree. You have one right here. Yeah, I and agree you, too. You, ha you have examples of them throughout. The, the Red Fox is definitely a big country epic. It's a extremely progressive songs. It has sections. It has uh, uh, everything, signature changes, and it's got. Uh, it's definitely a very strong story. Ed Stewart mentioned in the interview on hold on the Hold a Heart single that. Uh, what the song says is that struggle is right if the frustration is clear enough, which I think um, oh. most of that interview isn't very clear what he means. The Red Fox, uh, listening to the lyrics of that, seems to be almost uh, about a, an underground resistance fighter. It's a... Uh, what it is, is a... Uh, what it says, actually, is that armed struggle is right if the frustration is, is great enough. That's what it says, basically. I think, in in specific circumstances, that it can be the right thing to be doing, and it's the only option left open to a lot of people. I think it's very interesting how you have basically this Colin Campbell character who was in charge of the English forces in Scotland, and was shot by someone, and no one really knew who did it. So it was this historic act of terrorism, and uh, using that idea to show how people's frustrations at their own situation can spill over into violence. So you have several movements to this song. And uh, there's definitely a strong sense of dramatics coming from the words. It's a strong narrative, a very dramatic story, a historic event. And unlike several of the previous examples we talked about, this is definitely a song that is about something, that tells something. And uh, 
unless you spend the hours researching it, you never, or there's always this feeling that there's something here and what, what is it about? I need to know, I need to find out. It prickles your curiosity that like few other songs can. And uh, it adds such a dimension to the narrative. It's exactly the kind of stuff that drew me to the band to begin with. So it's exactly what I wanted from the band. And wow, um, I just think back to songs like The Storm and songs like Steel Town from that album. Words that mean something, that tells a story of genuine drama. So it's definitely much, much more than, quote unquote, a cop and rubber story. Uh, so um, it's one of my favorite songs on the album. Uh I might as well say it. There are two songs on this year that I would label masterpieces. And uh, I've already said the title track is one of them. This is the other. So they're pretty much tied for best song on the album. And on, on some days, The Red Fox is my favorite song. Oh, wow. It's, uh, so those two are interchangeable. Uh, and uh, yeah, you, you said so much about what's good with the song, with the different sections. And uh, I'll uh, go into the early guitar break, which... Uh, your quote from Bruce said, it's uh, thinlicious uh, in sections. Uh, there's actually an incredibly strong similarity to a previous song recorded by Thin Lizzy. On their 1976 album, Jailbreak, there's a track called Emerald, and they play the same twin guitar line as they do in The Red Fox. So let's do some comparison. First, we play the big country line. And now, let's listen to this section from the Thin Lizzy song, Emerald. Yeah, so um, very, very similar. So the question is, is this coincidental or not? And <laughs> There's no way. Yeah, <laughs> especially seeing that he says "Thin Lizzy" in that section. There's yeah. no way. Yeah, they they, uh, they must have heard it, but it's uh, it's not lifted as much as uh, inspired by. Yeah, I don't have a but, problem with it. Yeah, but it's a very interesting fact that uh, Phil Linnett actually died in early January 1986, and that places this just as Big Country was recording this year. So they would definitely have heard about this. This was a major news story. Phil Linnett died, so it's definitely something they could have done as a tribute to him. Or at least it would have brought Thin Lizzy back on the radar for a lot of people. So, Very interesting, yeah. Yeah, so either way, it certainly fits the song extremely well. Definitely. So, um, yeah, and uh, I could go on for, for a long time about how, how good I think the song is. Uh, the way it starts uh, with one narrative and then something dramatic happens midway. And, uh, and then you have the sort of the climax and the conclusion. Yeah. And the way the song ends, it, it leaves it hanging in the air. That final note, it's, it's what you could almost call a beetle chord, the one that hangs in the air. And <laughs> yeah. how, how did it go? So um, that always, the song that has that good ending, it, it's such a good ending. It leaves it hanging. And what really happened? And that's up to you to find out. I'd never thought about that before, but that's really brilliant because, yeah, it, it is. It's it's an unresolved ending musically, and it's a completely yeah. unresolved story. So, yeah, that's great. It's a brilliant ending. The only thing I'll say about it uh, lyrically that that kind of um, 
kind of surprised me and still surprises me a little bit. And you talked about this before. You said that Stewart talked about struggle being something that can happen or, or can be uh, condoned if the frustration is great enough. But he actually said arm struggle, not just struggle. And that always kind of surprised me and it's, and still does a little bit. It, it almost seemed like Stewart was saying, you know, yeah, I, I would be behind something like that if if um, if the situation was difficult enough that that uh, it required arm struggle or, or this kind of a terrorism. I just thought it was interesting for a guy like Stewart who was so nonviolent to actually come out in an interview and basically say that he could see how that could happen and he could see a situation in which that kind of uh, of an assassination of someone would be would be permissible and would be something that you'd have to do and I may kind of agree with that too I don't I don't know I, I could I could uh, I've never been in that situation but you know in another interview Stewart softens that stance a little bit and says the idea for the song comes from uh, the murder of, of Colin Campbell who was a uh, an officer working for the English Army just at the time of the Highland Clearances. And he was uh, killed up, up in the Highlands and uh, no one has ever really known exactly who did it. But uh, one of the, the Stuarts was hung for it. But they think it was a guy, Alan Breck, who's featured heavily in the, the old kidnap book by Robert Louis Stevenson. And what I did with that was uh, try and, and use that historical context and bring it forward into, into contemporary times. And... Uh, and put it in, try and tie it in with, with modern day terrorism. It's, it's a, a method that I've used quite a lot, I think, on, on stuff like Harvest Home, I did it. And uh, it's, I think it fits in nicely with the idea of the series, the album. Mm. It's just something that uh, those who cannot remember the past are forever condemned to repeat it, type of thing. Well, do you find then that with a song like that, that if you can equate it in some ways with modern terrorism, that you'd go as far as to say that if an armed struggle it seems to be sort of something that is really good for somebody, and that therefore then and if it's the only way out, then it's the right thing to do? I, d I don't know. I think uh, I think as a writer, you have to, you, you have to at times sit on the fence and be able to see both sides of the coin. You know, you have to be able to to observe and ob observe in an unbiased fashion. And I think uh, to try and understand someone's frustration that can carry them to, to the point of violence is, uh, is something that uh, I think needs to, is, needs to be looked into. We need to keep in mind most people growing up today have not been in that situation. And as, But, uh, you know, Stuart was interested in literature about the war and reading up on facts. And uh, like myself, especially from World War II, it's more my my war. And, uh, and Norway was occupied and everything's going on and everybody had a granddad who, who was in the war and everybody has stories from those times. Right. And there are some pretty dramatic situations where you're faced with that choice. And uh, I can only hear secondhand tellings of those situations. And uh, any country that is occupied or has sort of an enemy side and a, a very dramatic life in this situation, what would you do? You never know until you're actually in that situation. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, so, so that's a very uh, interesting question to which no one can say definite either way. Yep, yep. Good. Well, we probably pretty much dissected this song. So where do you rank it? I already know, but go ahead and say it for yeah, the yeah, record. No. So, so I, for the record, it's uh, generally number two, occasionally number one. And where is it for me? For you, if you're asking me, you have it as number three. <laughs> yep, you're exactly right. The Sailor. You can easily break this song in two. Uh, there's the first acoustic half, 
and then there's the full-on electric last part. So it's interesting that the uh, second song in a row, where, which has two movements, if you will. You could argue that uh, the Red Fox actually has three moments, but uh, it's certainly the three songs back-to-back on this album that form the strongest unity. And uh, Yeah, it's an amazing this, finale. Yeah, w- what a finale it is. After really a bit of this and that, <laughs> but it ends really strongly. And uh, for the sailor, I think one of the parts of this song is fantastic. The other one is pretty good, but lacks something. So can you guess which is what? Uh, the the nursery rhyme part, I'm sure you think lacks something. Which is the early the part? Open, the opening part. <laughs> no, it's the other way around. Are you serious? Wow. The first part is wonderful. The first the first part is complete. Um, it's emotional. It's it's beautiful. And the way he sings, that that's really it. Really hits home. What would you be if I set you free? And the way he sings that entire thing, and it goes back to songs like A Lead On, which I think he sings so well, so beautiful. And I hear a lot of the same in the first part of the Sailor. Uh, so it, it's just I hear it throughout the Sailor. You you bastard. But go ahead. <laughs> I knew you should have taken this first. You're going to disagree. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, the second part of the song, the reason I don't like it as good as the first part is because I feel it's somewhat studied. Uh, and don't get me wrong, because I, I love this song. Your brain it's should a, be somewhat studied. It's a great song, especially the guitar harmonies in the last 20 seconds, which are absolutely amazing. And it falls right into that tradition that big country has of closing the song with fantastic guitar harmonies or guitar parts or a play out section uh, even though this is a short one with 20 seconds but still you know that 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 section is just wow what an end to the album for that matter um but i think uh, there are so many sections in the second half and i'm thinking of the instrumental breaks where the guitars are simply playing the melody and i feel like uh, it should kick a little more there should be something it's not it's always the same. So uh, he, the, all the parts that he sings are basically great. The parts between the parts where he sings lack something. And this might be where, again, the production or the, the mix of the album uh, is problematic. And I haven't said it too often in, in these discussions, but it's been an ongoing point. Th- there are sections where I feel the mix leaves it flat or it, the sound isn't what it should be and it doesn't highlight the instrumentation. Uh, so I definitely hear that on the second part of this song. It should be clearer, it should be more crisp, it should kick a bit more, and more clarity. Uh, so there's something about the sonicness that disappoints uh, on, this, uh, on this part of the song. Uh, so I feel they should have gone for it. They're not quite doing it. They're holding back a little bit there. So the song would have benefited heavily from being recorded with the Steel Town mindset in production, if anything. Oh, I, I disagree with that. Yeah, the, the, the Seer production doesn't cut it, or the Seer mix doesn't cut it. It needs to kick a bit more. It doesn't kick. I think the, Miller, the, I think the Miller treatment, the original Miller treatment, would have made this perfect. I, uh, to, me, the, to me, the problem is the, the reverb on the drums, as usual. But I, I don't have a problem with it kicking. Yeah. There is something with the sound, uh, I, and having listened to the Look Away mix, I'm certain that the original Mirror mix would have really benefited this song much, much more than it is. Yeah, this is like so, the first song I thought about after after listening to the Look Away Miller mix. The first song I thought about was, wow, what what the Sailor could have been. 
on that we agree completely. Even though I think it's uh, great already, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. but overall, this is a fantastic song. I, I could leave it at that. It's a very good song, period. Uh, but uh, yeah, like I said, there are some sections that bother me. But uh, to go back to the first part, the guitars there are wonderful. And I'm thinking about the way they play it and the way they sprinkle it over the, the intro and the singing. And uh, they really remind me of stuff they did on Steel Town, playing-wise. Hmm. Uh, like you have songs like Girl with Grey Eyes, where they have those guitar drips and the harmony. They have some sprinkles overall. I, I don't know the technical term for that kind of playing, but I see that that same type brought over, and I really like that. I that, think, that it, is, is I think it is sprinkle. Okay. <laughs> sprinkle tinkle. <laughs> so uh, they did that all over that intro, and that, that is fantastic. They That's tinkled, really, they really tinkled all over that intro. Yeah, they did. It, it sounds like I'm really coming down on the song. It's, it's one of my favorites on the album, but I once again have this feeling that there is a unrealized potential in the second part where the full band kicks in and uh, starts playing. There's something they're missing. It doesn't quite quick. It doesn't quite have the clarity. And a lot of the instrumental breaks between the singings are the same section. It's like uh, if this had been Pro Tools era, I would have suggested that uh, or su I would have suspected them for playing one part once and then just used the same one. It's so identical. It doesn't, it doesn't bring it alive. There's something there that sounds stuck. So that's uh, that's what doesn't make this quite the top of the album, but it's still fairly high up. Yeah, well, I for me for me that there's nothing missing about this song. I, I I don't have any complaints about it. It's um, well, I can't completely say that. My only complaint would be what I know now, which is that there is another mix that was once made of this song, and th and that's the complaint I would have about the whole album is that the the original Robin Miller mixes were not used and. This is my third favorite big country album usually, and it, it, it comes close to the crossing at times, but I, I do think that the weaker material on here drags it a little bit below. But I have to say that if, if those Robin Miller original mixes were used throughout this album, based on what I hear on the Look Away mix, I just love the production of this album so much that I think it could even overtake the crossing for me. And I know that I don't think that it's necessarily a better album than The Crossing because I, that's a classic album and every song is classic on that album. But I'm thinking just as far as me playing it over and over, and you know, I think I will probably listen to this more. But to me, the to me the big offending culprit throughout this album is just the drenched in reverb '80s type of drums, and I think you do hear that in a little more pronounced way here on the Sailor in in those parts that you speak of at the end, and and that's probably because you know, there is a little bit more air here, and there's not as dense of a layering of, of guitars. But for me, it's that's a minor thing. I mean, I totally agree with the beginning, and um, it is so saccharine sweet. You know, I, I, you, you talk about Eilidon being saccharinely sweet. I, I think this song in the opening of this has that just sugary sweet feel to it, and and I love it. I mean, it's, it's something that... Um, Oh, I, I, I always felt different because uh, where I lead on is sugary sweet and diabetingly inducingly so. Uh, this one had a lot of regret in it. 
And uh, the first toast. <laughs> so funny, so we, have the, we have exactly the same feelings, but for the opposite songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the sailor definitely has a lot of regret. And what would that be if a wave set you free and when your hair brought you sailing to me? It's uh, it's not a sugary, sweet lyric. It's not a sugary, sweet melody. It's, uh, it's a very remorse. Not, not, I don't know. Um, well, I'm, I'm speaking about more of the melody. So, I mean, definitely the lyrics have that in there. But uh, they, the, they match the, the music and the lyrics are matched completely for me. It's got like a child's rhyme type of feel to it, which I think works works beautifully. But if you just take the music out of it, or excuse me, if you just take the lyrics out of it, it it's almost got like a child's a children's song type of feel to it, um, just mm. with with the way it's played. It always struck me as that. You know, it's like a I don't know. It's just it's just very it's a very sweet childish. And I mean that in a good sense, type of melody. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it, yeah. It, 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 it's a beautiful. It's either way, it's a beautiful song lyrically. And this is one of those songs where lyrically, I really got to be honest with you. I don't know what the hell he's talking about half the time. I mean, this is one of those songs where, again, we get back to what I think is one of Stewart's best lyrical traits: is that I look at the songs from face at face value, and I there are things that I don't know what he's trying to get across here specifically. I don't know exactly what the story is of this song. Um, I know he probably knows, but there's something about it though that transcends interpretation. I mean, it just, you don't necessarily have to know these things. I mean, like, what does he, what does he mean when he says, um, I never should have said out loud that I wanted to save the world, but I let it slip away. Just let it slip away. Uh, the only thing I wanted to be was the perfect one who killed for free. That one especially. Just like, what does he mean by that? I have no idea. In the song The Sailor, um, there's one line that says that I never should have said out loud that I wanted to save the world. It's a good phrase, you know. I think I stole it from somewhere, actually, but I can't quite mind where I just... I, sometimes I, I, I do things like that, actually. It's just uh, mess around with, with the phrases that, that uh, can turn heads, I think. I like to do that just when uh, the actual wordplay itself is more than, than actual, the actual uh, any great thought that, that went in behind it. I tend to, sometimes if I'm, I'm on a runner, just sort of jot down everything that, that comes in and then edit it down a bit. I'm sure you know what it's like if you if you start getting into a big flow of stuff all coming out at once. You tend to just rattle it down and then edit it back afterwards. Uh, I'm not sure of the specific idea where it came from, but I like I like the the sort of uh, grittiness of the phrase and decided to keep it. But yet it, it works somehow. It, it's it's one of those old school Stuart lyrical. Um, pieces that just has that feel to it it's it's full of abstract imagery and you definitely get a, a sense of a love song type of feel about it i mean especially from the beginning um and then you've got you know once again the the references to the sea and a sailor and and nautical themes that permeate all of his work up to the time that he died um but yeah, I mean, I, I've got zero complaints about this song, really. It's just, to me, this is this is a masterpiece. This is an absolute big country masterpiece. And it's uh, another epic. I mean, you talked about when Bruce said that the epics are only related to the Crossing album. And I, I agree with you completely that, you know, there are so, there are many other epics that they've done. And, and beyond Pearl Man and The Storm, and this is another one. Um, 
this is one of those songs too that I always always think it's longer than it really is. It's not that long of a song. It's it's probably under five minutes, isn't it? It yeah, but, is. Let me check. It is four fifty-five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's 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 like a minute, more than a minute shorter than "Hold the Heart," you know. But there's yeah. so much there's so much going on in it that you you just get the feeling that oh this is a long epic, but it it really isn't. But he's got kind of like the Red Fox. There's so much crammed into this thing. Um, you know, lyrically, I love it throughout. Even though, as I say, I, I'm going to completely admit that there's a lot of it I don't really understand on this on a surface level but i feel like i understand it on an emotional level musically what you're saying about the second piece uh the second piece of the song i get what you're saying but for me it just it never had that feel to it that anything was lacking i mean it just builds so beautifully to me and the emotion to me the emotion in stewart's voice in the beginning is carried through to the end um especially toward the end when he's singing i will try no more i will cry no more and he does that kind of tortured And then the guitar parts, those final guitar parts kick in. Oh my god! Yeah, the, the final ones. That that's really uh, what a way to end the album. And the drums too. Oh man, it's like they're just pummeling at the end and. This is kind of one that ends similar to the Red Fox. It's not an unresolved note, though. It, en- it ends on a on the. No, this song's complete. You know, yeah. it's uh, it, it finishes, and, and that's that has a period at the end. It does, it, but it, but it has that end where it just like hits, and then it everything kind of fades. And there are some other similarities to the Red Fox with this song to me. I mean, like uh, the the guitar when the guitars kick into the sailor in the sailor, it reminds me a lot of when the guitars kick in in the second half of the red fox it's it's not obviously it's not the same chords but there's kind of a feel that's always been similar to me have an interview where Stewart says that he alludes to the fact that they, they were practicing this song and they might have played it live mm-hmm. and uh, I'll play that right now. So what about if you do a two and a half hour set with 23 or 24 songs any new ones in that? Um, I think this year uh, we haven't done this year so far and Hold the Heart a new single is something we haven't been doing live and The Sailor from the album I think we're actually doing eight tracks from the new album now mm-hmm. plus uh, another 15 from, from previous albums and old singles and stuff. You know, I totally understand them in, in one sense of the word, not playing this song at the expense of others. Um, but man, would I have loved to have heard this played live. I think it could have been a great set closer, maybe not the, the show closer, but maybe like the first set. And then they come back for an encore after this. But uh, mm. I would love to have heard a live version of this tune. But I can say yeah. that about a lot of big country songs. <laughs> yeah, but much like Red Fox, uh, this uh, this is a bit of a, you know, not very household song because they never played it and never talk about it. Yeah. But unlike Red Fox, this is a song that fans often mentioned and uh, fans will often bring it up. So I don't feel it's underrated like I feel the Red Fox is. Uh, the Sailor certainly has a fan uh, perception of being wonderful and a lot of people really want to hear it. So uh, one can dream. One can dream. Definitely. One can dream. And uh, in terms of... Uh, 
the words to this song. I I uh, I am at a loss for the first half of of the song really, but once you get into the second half where the, where the song kicks off in a bit, uh, it's it's pretty clear that the protagonist here has missed out on some opportunity, and I feel that entire section that's in the past like uh, uh, like an empty tourist at the World Fair. I could only stand and stare, and I let it pass by me, let it pass me by. Yeah. And I never should have said outside, wanted to save the world, but let it slip away, let it slip away. There's clearly some sort of lost opportunity and uh, uh, sort of regret at that lost opportunity or regret at lack of action, really. Mm. But at the end, now we are together. We won't turn back where the boats are burned, ties are black. I will cry no more. I will cry no more. Like either he's passed that regret or decided to take action finally. Um, th- that could be either way. Yeah. So so uh, so that's a pretty... Uh, strong statement you know it can still be about anything it can be about any topic and uh, the line like an empty tourist at the world fair that always stood out like a sore thumb like yes yeah it's a great line I'd, I'd wish for something maybe more poetic or more classic whatever but um, it does make sense it does make sense and you know nobody's probably ever used that line ever in the history <laughs> history of music. So you gotta love of, it for that alone. Oh yeah, definitely. It's kind of like Motorhead are the only heavy metal band to ever use the word parallelogram in a song. So. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you rank the sailor? The sailor I rank amongst the four songs that are great, great songs on the album, but it's the last of them, so it's number four for me. Cool. Uh, for me, it's number two, and it, it's very close to to I lead on, but for me, mm. but it's not it's not quite there. Uh, Perfect. Yeah. So I so, get two. Uh, so I already have the final rankings combined, which are <laughs> our favorite, our joint top ten. Awesome. The, so uh, yeah, so there's probably justice in the world. One great thing is the last one, <laughs> uh, with Look Away being right above it, and I Walk the Hill right above that. So there you have the three pop rock songs. Uh, they. They are probably most people's least favorites on the album, and certainly ours. Uh, Hold the Heart Follows, and then The Teacher. So the top five is Remembrance Day, and then you have Eileen and The Seer, equal. Mm. Then you have Sailor number two and Red Fox number one. Yeah, The Seer as a whole, uh, this album is to me much less of a unity than the first two. Where I feel every song on the first two albums is pretty much a standout. This was the first album to me where that wasn't the case anymore. And also, I feel songs fall into different categories. Like you have Look Away, I Walk the Hill, One Great Thing, or the pop songs, lightweight yet catchy efforts. Uh, you have The Teacher, which is sort of a, a category on its own. It doesn't sound like any other songs. Yeah, it really doesn't. Now, in some weird way, it almost points the way to no place like home. I was going to say, it's got a Dynamite Lady type of feel to it. Some of these it, songs have that feel to it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you look back, the, the Seer really reveals a lot of what was coming. And uh, Aileen and Hold the Heart are the mournful ballads on the album, which is another first for the band, really. Uh, Chance was a ballad, but not quite like this. And Steel Town certainly had nothing like this. Come Back to Me is probably the closest. And then you have The Seer, Remembrance Day, Red Fox and The Sailor, which are probably the most involved and definitely pointing back to the big country epics of old. So it's a bit of, uh, it has this and that. And we've spoken before about how The Seer fits in the big country catalog. And I know there are many fans that 
put the first three albums on a pedestal. And I think most people do. And some deranged lunatics even refer to them as the holy trinity of big country <laughs> albums. Uh, yes. I, do, I, I don't. Some and that is brilliant, clear thinking. Yeah. Well, ah, shut up. <laughs> Basically, the seer to me isn't as good as the first two. It has moments that easily are as good as the first two albums. So, uh, yeah, I'm a bit torn. The the Seer, it has brilliant, brilliant moments. They have moments that make me wax poetically for hours on end, and they have moments that make me cringe and cry. So uh, (laughs) the the Seer is not an easy one to to summarize. It it really isn't. Um, uh, I certainly can't hold it to the standard of the first two. Uh, More than half the other album is distinctly lower quality. Uh, but then again, all the signature movements, the sounds, uh, they're there. You know, I I, uh, I smile when I hear them. You know, if one great thing shows up on the radio, I'll probably listen to it. I think, yeah, that's big country. That's my bad. Right. But uh, when I sit with the entire catalog and map it out, it doesn't rank that high. There's no doubt that this is the first album where you can you can really see some some cracks happening. And now to me, those cracks weren't nearly deep enough for me to feel like this wasn't a classic big country album. I, I do think this is a classic big country album that sits with the first two. Is it as good as the first two? No, it's not quite as good as the first two. But I, I think the, the moments of brilliance on this album are, are so up there that, as I said before, to me, it, it drags a couple of those weaker moments up with them. Um, so I'm still very much willing to put this. I am. I am definitely one of those deranged lunatics that talks about the the holy trinity of big country albums. And to me, that this one works. But there are definitely some some things happening here. I mean, I think this is the first album where we've really we really are seeing record company people taking more of an approach into how the band is marketed. How they uh, how they record the songs that they they choose, etc. Um, I mean, we've seen that with we saw that with the way Dave Dave Bates came in and got rid of Robin Miller's original mixes. I mean, that certainly never happened before with Big Country. Obviously, we see them drifting in a little bit more into pop territory. Really, I mean, trying to appeal more to a mainstream audience. Um, we can see that happening, and it's it's kind of subtle in this album. Um, in a, in a way, but uh, you know, as I say, I wish I really wish the Robin Miller mixes had been allowed to stand. I don't think they would have affected the album's uh, popularity at all. And as proof of that, his mix of "Look Away" is the one they released as a single, and it's their highest charting single ever. So there's no, you know, there's no way that that his mixes would have affected the way this album sold. All that aside, I still love the Seer very very dearly. It's it it is my third favorite big country album, and um. Some of the tracks on here are just, you know, uh, just amazing classics. And some of them, you know, like I say, I lead on to me is is maybe Stewart's best song, maybe the band's best song. It's certainly my number one or number two. Uh, the Sailor would, would be in my top five big country songs of all time. Red Fox would be right up there. So, I mean, it, it's it's a great album, I think. A great big country album with some admitted flaws and some admitted foreshadowing of things to come. But it, I I do love it. But you know what? One thing we haven't talked about yet, and we should, is what what did you think about 
the band's presentation at the time, like the 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 style the styles of the clothing they were wearing and all that stuff. Because <laughs> it, it was very different. It was a very big change for them. Yeah, th- th- they really had such a big change with their 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 image. You know, they had all that uh, the tartan shirts and the more workman uh, approach, and suddenly they were the kings of polyester with uh, all those <laughs> weirdly colored suits and. I, I don't know what they were trying to do. They look like Deep South plantation owners to me, like Deep Southern American plantation owners. It's like they had these big, wild Southern type of suits. I don't know. It was, it was I, I kind of liked it, but it was definitely weird. Yeah, I didn't much care for it. It, <laughs> it, 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 it certainly alienated me for, for a while. Um, uh, not, not that it matters. You know, I, I don't care how a band decides to clothe themselves as long as as long as they are clothed. <laughs> but uh, it, it's the music that's the most important thing. But they certainly tried to to change things around on that yeah. one. Yeah. So it's just uh, it fell into that whole uh, we're going to change the stuff and see if it works better. The whole manufactured feel of uh, of certain things that I didn't quite like. Like right. certain songs on the album felt manufactured and the style felt manufactured and everything about it. Some videos felt very manufactured. So th- there were lots of things to. Uh, was a bit problematic to be honest but uh like like you said this album has so many of the great moments and that's what i think of when i when i think of the seer i think of the i would say the, the four or five songs that uh that i love on this album and uh i would not say that they saved the weak songs <laughs> it's definitely this album is two parts it's the good and the bad and um or the good and the not so good I don't know if all of one half is categorized as bad, but uh, the good songs are definitely up there. And the good songs on this album were never matched again. Songs like The Seer, songs like Red Fox. Uh, I don't know. I can't think right off the top of my head right now if they ever made a song again as good as those two songs. Hmm. But uh, they definitely made songs that were plenty better than most of the album. Mm, I can't agree with that. Well, it's still we we both uh, find a lot to like about the album. You know that that brings us into another interesting point. We don't want to belabor everything about this period, but this is I think a, a worthwhile thing to talk about briefly. With the Seer, we really got these crazy '80s uh, synthy type of remixes, and the ones that really yeah. stand out is like the one great thing, big bad disco mix or whatever it was called, and and there was one for Look Away too that had like this fake brass section on it, which was awful. <laughs> and then the, the the one great thing one has this the saxophone on it that was just horrible. Now I, I know a lot of fans just hate this, and and I hate it too. And I, as far as it being big country music, but I kind of look at these things similar to the way I look at the song Eggplant. It's like it's like I don't feel like they're worth hating because I don't feel like they were ever put out there as being representative of of what big country is. I think it was just like someone having fun, and they said, "Hey, let's throw this out there." Um, do I think it should have been released? No, uh, probably not. You know, I don't. It's not something I put on for enjoyment, but I don't have the really strong feelings that a lot of people do about these. I just think they're silly and forgettable, and and at times atrocious. But I, I never, I never thought of them as being really connected with big country. I just thought it was more like the the idiot producer who was fooling around. I don't know. How yeah, you... I, I, this is definitely not big country's making. This is a record company slash producer trying to capitalize on. Uh, Getting a certain popularity, getting a disco mix, getting something that works on the dance floor. Yeah, uh, it's part of the whole manufactured stuff. Let's make big country hip. Let's make it something they can dance to, and uh, that is so far removed from what big country is about that I can't even begin to talk about it. Uh, 
I don't believe for a second that any of the band actually sat there and okayed or participated in that mix. You probably uh, right. I, I think this is a necessary evil. Uh, I definitely hate them. Uh, I, Eggplant, I can excuse a lot. That was the band having fun doing a piss deck in the studio. <laughs> These pieces were manufactured by from a record company, had nothing to do with the band, and they were put out there. And oh my God, we they put them as bonus tracks on the Bona Fida album. <laughs> that, which, which means you, you can't listen through the CD from beginning to end. It ruins the CD. I know, I these, know. these things should be assigned to a remix CD so you can go there and listen to it if you want to or have it archived and say, I have it in my collection. But to put that stuff on the actual CD as a bonus track, oh my God. I, 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 I could talk for hours about how wrong that is. It never should have been done. We know there and, are a couple of good ones, I think, though. I mean, the, one, the ones that are done in the same spirit as the earlier ones, I actually really like. Like the one, And I'm saying, like things that don't have anything added to them, but just have different sections and stripped yeah. away. I mean, there there are a couple. There, there's at least one version of one great thing remix, which is really just a traditional remix of the song that's pretty interesting. And then there's one of the teacher that has nothing but the original. The teacher pieces. is probably the best uh, of the remixes, or the least bad. Yeah, I, I, I actually love that. I actually love I, that. I don't care for the echo on the teacher, 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 teacher. Uh, but uh, the instrumentation is nice because it lifts up certain parts and you can hear them better. Exactly. So so that's obviously what I take away from the Big Country remixes, and especially the Steel Town ones, which for the most part highlighted the bass. You could, yeah, you could yeah. hear the bass lifted up. That, that's really good. East so, of Eden. Oh, oh great yeah, stuff. Yeah, definitely. And with the Roses Zone. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you know, the last thing that I could add that we haven't touched on yet is um, there was one B-side to this uh, this album that is a huge favorite of a lot of fans. It's definitely one of my favorites, if you remember the B-side episode. Yep. And, you know, you know, the thing about this song, and I'm talking about Song of the South, is that this actually, I believe, is another um, one of Robin Miller's mixes that survived. Robin Miller produced it, obviously, and uh, I read that confirmed by Stewart that Robin Miller fully produced this song. So I have to assume that this is his mix as well, because I don't know why they would bother to give this the Walter Turbot treatment, um, assuming that they did. They knew this was not going to go on the album. Now people have asked, why didn't this album? Why didn't this make the album? I did put this to Bruce uh, by email, and it's the answer you would expect, and it makes total sense, and it's what we've talked about before with. Uh, the, the, the way albums were released at the time. He says, Song of the South never made it due to time constraints on vinyl and cassette. And that was his answer. So, you know, I personally would have loved to have seen this song replace One Great Thing. I think it would have been a, a perfect replacement of that song. Um, now, I, I can see lyrically where this song is much more of a straightforward type of, of song. It doesn't have that kind of mysterious feel really to it, but one great thing didn't have any kind of mystery to it. So no. th this song to me is an awesome, great, great song and would have made this album that much better to, to have taken the place of one of the weaker ones, like one great thing, but wasn't to be, but uh, I do think this is another Robin Miller mix. So if you listen to this tune, you probably get another, again, get a more of a feel for 
what the seer could have sounded like with robin miller's original mixes mm. Yeah, the big irony is you say it could have replaced one great thing, and it was the B side to one great thing. <laughs> was <laughs> so, it really? That's great. <laughs> so, so that's just yeah, I, I think so. People might arrest me immediately. I think that was the case. Yeah, there's there's no doubt it would have strengthened the album. Uh, I think easily three or four of the weaker tracks. It's better than those. It wouldn't have been a part of the sort of the peak of the album, but it's a solid track of the of the type that the album really needs. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, so that's the Seer. That's the classic Big Country album, and we know that a lot of new stuff is on the horizon, and that's what's really exciting too. And and we'll be talking a lot about that in the in the days to come. We can only hope that uh, maybe with Mike Peters and his bold proclamations of playing every Big Country song ever written, you know, <laughs> we can only hope that maybe he can at least talk them into trying. Th- Maybe the Red Fox or the Sailor or something. Oh my gosh, wouldn't that be something? That would be fantastic. One of the reasons we wanted to go back and do a classic album now is because it's a little bit of a law before, uh, I guess kind of the calm before the storm, I guess, because Big Country's gearing up to do quite a bit of stuff. Uh, as as of today, when we're recording this, I just read that from Jamie Watson that the, the album is completely finished. So it's been mixed and mastered. Once the album comes out and once the tours start happening, we'll, we'll probably be talking a lot about the current big country. So, you know, when you look back at 1986, when this year came out, I think we both would be surprised that we could still be talking about new big country content in 2013. And yeah. you know, especially after what happened in 2001, we're surprised that we can be talking about it. So, you know, it, it should be an exciting, exciting year for big country. And hopefully they'll come to Norway and... I know they're coming here, so I'm really, really stoked about that. But, uh, yeah. So, any last words from you, Svein, before I sign off? Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't mean, like, death-related last words, but just, you know, <laughs> podcast-related last words. Svein's last thoughts, or Svein's final thoughts. No, I don't, <laughs> not really. It's, uh, but, uh, no, it's it's a very interesting album. You know, I certainly, uh, I, I have a lot of good feelings for this year, uh, although I have, warmer feelings for sections of it than the album as a whole it's still uh it's still a classic obviously it it is big country anything big country means something deep and and personal to me and uh, this was the first album i actually waited for Mm. the the first two i picked up uh, after the fact and uh, so i knew and waited for this release and that that was very special to go out and buy it on the the first day of uh, of release bring it home and play it as a new album wow so that's something to to remember something you never forget awesome okay so that's the end of our trilogy on the seer And we hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed putting this together. It was really a lot of fun for us to do, and hopefully that came through. We had a lot of good back and forth, I think, and some good passionate discussion and disagreements and cursing back and forth, sort of, uh, on on this episode. But that's kind of what makes it fun to listen to, I think. So hopefully you guys feel the same way. So episode 17, that will be coming sooner rather than later. We are going to be doing an episode on the journey. And Svein and I are going to be talking about what we hope the new album will be like. So that should be interesting because we thought we would chronicle what our hopes for the new album are, what our expectations of the new album are, 
And then when the album comes out, we can talk about whether we think those expectations were met, whether they were exceeded, or whether the album fell short of expectations, which hopefully will not be the case. And judging from what I've heard so far, I don't think it will be the case. So we will talk about that the next time, what we're hoping for from the new Big Country album. And we are also going to be unveiling some new technology in the next show that will enable you guys to be more of a part of the show. And what I mean by that is we will be able to play some messages from you guys and things like, you know, album reviews, reviews of our show, anything, anything that fits whatever we're talking about on the show. And all you will need for that is a working microphone on your computer. So if you don't have one of those and you want to be a part of this, make sure you get a microphone for your computer that you can record yourself with. And keep, a, keep track of us on Facebook because we're going to be explaining exactly what we're talking about here in the next week or two. And we're going to try to unveil that for the next episode. So, so it should be fun. It should be fun. And speaking of people getting involved in the show, I said last time that if you wanted us to mention you on the show, we would be more than happy to. And so I want to give a shout out to Ian Wallace and, in Ian's words, his wonderful Brazilian wife, Valeria. He says Valeria is a wonderful wife. So Valeria... We are giving you a shout out and saying good job for being a wonderful wife. So there you go. Thanks for listening. We, we really do appreciate it. And we appreciate all you guys listening and all of your feedback as usual. So if you want to give us some feedback, please do so at bigcountrypodcast at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page and look for the Great Divide podcast. Just join the page, get into the, the uh, discussions that we have on the page. Uh, really good discussions, I think, for big country fans. Um, or you can go to the iTunes page. Look for us on iTunes and just leave some messages on the, uh, on the iTunes page of The Great Divide. Rate the show and tell us what you think. And that really helps us to publicize the show and attract new listeners, too, if, if people think it's a good podcast worth listening to. So, oh, and one other plug, too, of course. I always have to get this one in. Uh, if you want to hear some of my original music, please go to ReverbNation.com slash Thomas Kirchival. And you can hear some of my original tunes, and hopefully you'll like them. Please let me know if you do. And you know what? Please even let me know if you don't. I don't care. Just listen to them. So, man, we get a lot of plugs on this show, don't we? That's the end, though. That's that's all the plugs, I believe. So thanks again for listening. We really appreciate it. And we will see you soon. We'll see you soon with episode 17. In the meantime, take care. We're looking forward to the next Big Country album. Can't believe we're saying that in 2013, but we are. And that's a very, very good thing. So... We will have a lot of great shows here coming up around the new album and the new tour and everything else. So look forward to that. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed this look back at a classic Big Country album. And hopefully a new classic Big Country album is coming soon. We shall see. So finally, you know how sometimes a movie will have an extra scene after the credits? Well, that's kind of what's going to happen here. So pay attention after the theme song ends because there is another song that's coming up. And since the Red Fox was the number one choice between Svein and myself of the Seer, once we tallied everything and tallied the rankings of these songs, I thought, you know what, I'm going to cover the song, The Red Fox, because I don't think anyone has ever covered this song before. Like we said, it's a forgotten gem, and I don't want that to be the case anymore. So, you know, I started the very first Big Country podcast in the history of man, and now I think I'm going to be the very first person to cover the Red Fox in the history of mankind. So enjoy my version of the Red Fox. See you next time.
coming out into the day and all that I can see is the red and white of the king's army. I'll meet with them among the pine, I'll meet with them by noon. The dirge will sound on the morrow's moon. I was not born in to this time to cleave the soil or work the mine. I come to claim my enemy and be the fox's destiny. Silence with a quiet heart and fear I will be done before the dawn If I am found here I stand up as he passes And the time is coming last The prey goes down at the middle's crash I was not born in To this time to Cleave the soil or work the mine I come to claim my enemy And be the fox's destiny Before too long, 